you know, promises are one of the, the strongest ways you can destroy a relationship. Uh, promises, though, are also one of the, the strongest ways you can build up a relationship. So if you think about uh, a promise that's not kept, um, a relationship is slowly destroyed when, if you're in a relationship and, and you say something and you don't follow through on it, and you keep saying things and you don't follow through on them, what, what happens in that relationship? The other person begins to say, like, yeah, I, I can't trust this person. They say things, but they never follow through on them. And so the relationship uh, begins to fall apart, begins to be slowly destroyed. On the other hand, uh, relationships are built up. You begin to trust someone more when a promise is said and it's kept. So you say something to someone and you follow through on it. You keep saying things and you follow through on it. You keep those promises. What happens over time is you become known as someone that other people can rely on. I can trust them. It, I know these, this is someone who the things that they say they will do it makes me more likely to listen to them, to want to follow them, uh, to trust in them. So that's why I think it's significant in our Bibles that we have uh, a God in this Bible who makes a whole lot of promises. Like God makes a ton of promises in the Bible. It's a little scary. Just, he's really putting himself out there. All these things God said he's going to do. All these things God promises to do. And here's the thing. If you look at them, and for any of you who are sort of new to the Bible, new to Christianity, here's, I always like to give ways to start to think through this. Like just look at the things God says in the Bible and what he follows through on. Over and over and over again, what do we see from God? He follows through on his promises. He says something, he does it. He says something, he does it. What we have in our passage today is maybe one of the biggest examples of God doing that. Uh, here's a promise that God made that has spanned multiple generations, right, that God has followed through on. And when Paul brings it up here, we're towards the end of this letter that Paul has written to the church in Rome. And what Paul's doing is bringing up really something that he's talked about in the very beginning of the letter. So he's bringing it up now because it's, it's, an important, it's basically a theme that started in the first chapter of Romans and that's continued throughout Romans. And he sort of, as he closes this letter, comes back to. Throughout Romans, Paul has been talking about how people like him, Jewish people, and also non-Jewish people who, him as a Jewish person, Jewish people would refer to non-Jewish people, so most, basically almost all of us, as Gentiles, right? So the Gentiles, the nations is what we're talking about. Another way of thinking about it. All the people from all the different nations. So Jewish people, all the other nations, what Paul has, has, has been talking about all throughout this is to say, look, we're all in the same boat. Like we're all in the same place. We're all under sin. All of us not right before God, not listening to God, not following God. All of us needing salvation. And what God has done, he's acted to save people. Jew and Gentile, to make them righteous, and he's done it through Jesus. Throughout Romans, Paul has been showing this has been God's plan all along to save a multi-ethnic, multinational people of God. That's been his plan. And what Paul does in this passage is so like this plan of his, all, these, all of us under sin, all of us needing rescue, a God having a plan to draw us all together into his one people, this, this plan of his is really God following through on a promise. What God has done was to make a promise to Israel to bring salvation to Israel and then through Israel to bring salvation to the nations. And that's how the plan got accomplished. A multi-ethnic, multi-people of God saved unto God. Let's, let's look at this now. So Paul writes this. 
verse 8 of Romans 15. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So that reference to the circumcised, this, this is Israel, the Jewish people. And when it mentions the patriarchs, these are like the founding fathers of Israel. So like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, the, the ones from whom the nation of Israel came. Thousands of years ago, God promised that through those men, through their descendants, there's going to be a nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation. God's going to have a special relationship with them. God promised to do that when he spoke to Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob. But that's not all God promised to do. God also said that through them, through their descendants, through this nation, through this particular group of people, eventually all nations, all peoples are going to be blessed. And that blessing would be that all the nations would come together with the Jews to know God, to have also a special relationship with God. It's not just the Jews who are going to have a special relationship with God and be saved. All nations, like us, <laughs> would have that opportunity to know God and be brought to God. So Genesis 12, 3, here's what God says to Abraham. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, Abraham, through you and your descendants, eventually all the families, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. He repeats the promise in chapter 22 of Genesis. says to Abraham, and in your offspring, your descendants, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Chapter 26, here's God talking to Isaac. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. So Isaac is the son of Abraham. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So God makes promises to Abraham, then to his son Isaac. He also does the same thing with Jacob, and he says the same thing. Ultimately, it's a promise to you. There's going to be a nation that comes through you, but through that nation, blessing to all the nations, Jew and Gentile. So that's God's promise, a promise that's going to take multiple generations to accomplish, but it's a promise that gets fulfilled. And it gets fulfilled because Jesus came. Jesus fulfills this promise. Jesus is the one who shows that God said it and he accomplished it. That's why, look back at our passage, notice how it begins. Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jewish people. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm these promises he gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Christ comes fulfill these promises, but also always God's intention to do something through them. Christ comes as this servant. He comes humbly, right, to carry out God's plan, fulfilling this promise. But that plan was always this grand vision. Salvation coming to all the peoples. And we can stand here this morning and say that, that was fulfilled. It was accomplished. Plan accomplished, promise fulfilled through the life death and resurrection of Jesus, God has brought all these peoples together. A plan he had fulfilled because God keeps his word. He promised to do it and he did it. And let's just say this was not an easy task. Right? Let's, just, let's just say look, looking at the story of the Old Testament, you know, throughout the Old Testament you see the Jewish people disobedient, not listening to God. I mean, here's God like sort of saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you my people. And they're like, nah. Right? Over and over again, nah. Forget it. So you see the Jewish people disobedient. See, 
the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, all the other nations, they're following other gods, right? They're, they're, they're way outside of, what, of, of all that God seems to be doing of Israel. It doesn't seem like a, a good setup for God to make a promise like that. And yet, what happens? Jesus comes, and through Jesus, the Jews find a way back to God. Through Jesus, the Gentiles are given a way to God. So ultimately, there is a united people of God. A people who were able to know that God is great. To know that God is glorious. A people, verse 9, that might glorify God for his mercy. That the end result is that there's peoples throughout history, throughout the world, who come to realize that God in grace and mercy has provided a way for us to have a relationship with him. Where we can experience the goodness and greatness and glory of this God. Here's this awesome and mighty God who we have put ourselves distant from. And God made a plan and followed through on a promise so that we don't look at that God and say, like, I don't know who you are. We can know that God and say, I know who you are. You're my God. And I know you and glorify you. That God has shown grace and mercy to make that happen. God follows through on what he says. Now, what we have in the sort of next section of our passage is Paul quoting from all these different places in the Old Testament. Some of you remember maybe writing term papers. Some of you are still writing term papers, or maybe you should be writing term papers. And so, you know, it's the end of the, the, end of the semester. You should get on that. If you remember writing term papers, one of the things you got to do in a term paper is give citations, right? I, I say these things, and I give these citations to back up what I'm saying. And what we have in this next section is basically Paul giving citations. Look, I know I said this, but here's the proof, right? And, and Paul... So, you know, he's, this is a good term paper. He's not quoting just from Wikipedia here, right? He's quoting from all over the Old Testament, intentionally. All these different quotes that we get in this next section of our passage, he's quoting from the law, he's quoting from the Psalms, he's quoting from the historical books. Um, he's, quoting from the, he's quoting from all, he's, he's very intentional about quoting from all the different sections of the Old Testament to show all throughout this, one common theme in all these citations is to back what he's saying. God's plan Fulfilled, a fulfilled promise was to include all peoples into the people of God. A salvation that extends to all peoples. That's always what he's been about. And you can see it throughout the Old Testament. So let's look at some of these. Let's look at these. Verse 9, whereas that comes from, if you look at Psalm, uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 22 and, and Psalm 18. What you'll see there is this quote. And, and what's happening here is David is, is celebrating his great victory that God has given him. And he's declaring praise to God. And he's saying, I'm going to praise God not just among Israel but among the nations. That is to say, like, I'm going to praise God, and the people around me who are going to be praising God are going to be the nations. Remember, David is a Jewish king, right? They follow God. The, the, the other nations around them follow these weird, crazy gods that have them, like, sacrifice their children, have them, like, do these weird sex fertility cults, all, stuff. Like, if you look at the Canaanite religions and other things, one of the things that's important to realize, like, these weren't just some, like, safe religions, if we can put it that way. These are religions that would burn their children in the fire, right? We're talking as far away from the God of the Bible as you might possibly imagine. And yet David is imagining a time when those nations that he's around are going to join him in worship of God. We see that in the Old Testament. So verse 9, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Verse 10 is a quote from the law, Deuteronomy 32. Here's Moses, right? He's celebrating God's victory and judgment on rebellious Israel. Like God judged Israel and it was good that he did that. He's also judged the nations. 
But now he's calling all the nations to rejoice that God has done this along with Israel. Join Israel nations so that together as one people, we rejoice before God. We worship this God. So verse 10, and again it said, so at the time he's saying it again and it said, it's him making a citation. So look, here's all the different ways in which what I just said earlier in verse 8, here's how we see it in the Old Testament. So again, in the Old Testament, Paul writes, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11, that's quoting Psalm 117. And here it's just saying, look, all the nations are called to worship God. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And let all the peoples extol him. And then finally, verse 12, that's a quote from Isaiah 11. And Isaiah, the prophet, talks about a descendant of Jesse coming. Jesse is the father of King David. And so basically a descendant of, of David is what we're talking about here who we know, of course, to be Jesus. So here's, early on, Isaiah saying, someone's going to come, and it's Jesus, and he's going to come to be the king to rule over the nations. And in his rule, what's going to happen? Hope is going to come for the nations. So verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. God's plan. I save many peoples. I, got, I, I can't just have one peoples that's saved. I want to save people from every tribe, language, and nation. I'm going to save many peoples. He makes promises to the nation of Israel that are going to lead to that happening. And God follows through on it. He keeps his promise. He keeps his promise because he intended to accomplish this plan. This plan that we today can call a plan of a multi-ethnic, multinational people of God. People made up of different nations and different ethnic groups all over. It's why we can talk about Christianity as not belonging to one people group. It's one of the things I think, um, if you think about the, what Christianity is, just even historically, as sort of a, a religion in and of itself, and I encourage people, like, when you're thinking about these things, like, don't just sort of look at Christianity in isolation from philosophies and religions around the world. I mean, look at what it is. One of the things we notice from the religions that come from our world is, is a lot of them, they might say a particular religion is associated with the Middle East or associated with Asia, um, associated with maybe tribes in Africa. What tends to happen is religions form up and they get associated with a particular place in the world, a geography. And so, and people from around the world will believe in it, but like to really believe in it, you got to go to the Middle East or you got to go to certain spots in Asia or, or those kind of things. That's, that's what you have to do to practice this religion. You notice Christianity does not work that way. I mean, you want to visit uh, Palestine or Jerusalem, those places, you should. It was great. But it's not necessary to be a Christian. You understand that? Christianity is not came from Palestine in those areas. But Christianity, this is one of the things that, that even when people study this, is remarkable about what we're talking about here. It spreads around the world and doesn't belong to any particular part of the world. Right now, the center of Christianity is not actually the West. It's Africa. It's South America. That's where most Christians are coming from. That's where you see the most vibrant faith right now. I mean, it literally has moved. It's moved from, the, from Palestine, and then the center of Christianity was Europe, and then it moved to America, and now it's in Africa and Latin America. We should not be surprised by that. We should not be surprised about it because this was always God's plan, for it to spread around the world, for it to belong around the world. God's plan, because he intended to fulfill this promise, made through Israel, intentional to come through Israel to save many peoples to himself. For all peoples to know him, to praise him, to rejoice in him, to glorify him. I went on a mission trip 
to Honduras uh, many years ago, and one of the things I did there was participate in a worship service in this church in just like deep in the, the, the jungle of Honduras. And uh, I remember being there, and this is like, a, they had like wood pews, some like a stray dog was literally sitting right in the middle of the, the center, just, just random dog sitting right like in the center aisle there, right? Um, and I, they had, I don't even know how they had light in there, right? It just somehow they had jury-rigged a generator, right? And I remember sitting there, singing some songs. Some of them I, I sort of recognized. They were clearly songs from America that got translated into Spanish. Others uh, were songs I did not recognize. So th this is a different kind of place for me to be in. And yet, one of the things, I, when I think back about my experience there was the sense of there was really, though, still no barrier to me fellowshipping with these people. I, I'm not just saying that. There was this sense that I was really home. I was part of the same people. Even though different language, different customs. I mean, I could give you a whole lot of things. I was like, whoa, this is way different. And yet, it was unmistakable the sense that I was part of something that they were also part of. Because God followed through on his plan. God fulfills his promise that we were together in worship of the same God. And that matters. That matters for how I view them, how I view myself. It matters for how ultimately you view God. If God has done this thing, then we know what God will do in the future. You know, when I moved here to Arizona, another example of this. Um, I, uh, first church I worked at was Camelback Bible Church. And let me just say, that church, it's not, I wouldn't say, a natural fit for me. Um, it's a uh, you know, very formal kind of high church type experience. Praise God for, for that type of experience. I'm glad that I believe in broad Christendom. There should be a lot of different expressions of Christianity, informal, formal. So hear me say that very, very firmly. But for me personally, it wasn't quite a natural fit. And also, if I can say this, um, you know, I, I could probably count the number of black people there on maybe one or two hands. On a good Sunday, two hands, right? And even for me, I, you know, I, I'm a part of a minority group, so I recognize I'm used to being in settings where there's not that many black people. Um, but you should know this for, for many of us who are, who are black. You know, you, you're aware of it. I'm especially aware of it when I'm like, okay, I'm the only one. I remember, I think at that point, I was, it was me and one other family. So I'm keenly aware of those, those things. And churches and communities should be aware of, of what that is to sort of always be that minority in so many different settings, especially as you navigate through a lot of our country. Um, but here's the thing. As I sort of navigated that and, and worked through being the challenges of being in a space in that, in that, in that setting, um, what helped, what helped in that space, what was true in that space and any space that I'm in is that ultimately as we work through those relationships and any of those challenges that come when you have people, more of one people than other people and, and, and whether those people Minorities are noticed in majority spaces. All those different challenges in those settings, we, I always approach that from the standing and the understanding that I'm actually in the same home with them, God's home, and I'm in the same family with them, God's family. And that always makes a difference. It made a difference when I was at that church, and it's made a difference in every church I've been in, to the degree in which we as a church community constantly recognize ultimately we're in the same home, ultimately we're in the same family. And we sing and we pray and fellowship to the same God. The same God whose intention always was that many peoples would be brought together in shared worship of him. In fact, it's worth saying this. God is most glorified 
when there's shared worship, Jew and Gentile together. I can say that because if God's intention is always to glorify his name, that means God wants to shine as brightly as possible. God wants to be shown as fully as possible. God doesn't want to be limited into one lane, into one stream. God wants all the lanes and all the streams in all the world to show him. He wants to be glorified as fully as possible. If that is true, and then God established a plan to make sure that his people be made up of many peoples, that means when we are in those settings and in those spaces when there's many peoples from all sorts of different places and cultures and backgrounds, worshiping God and praising the same God, you're experiencing the glory of God. You're experiencing the very bright shininess of God. You're experiencing something great about who God is. We often overlook it. We often miss it. Don't overlook it. Don't miss it. What you're seeing is God following through what he said he would do. What we're seeing in a small fashion is what God intends to do one day throughout the world. That no matter where we are, no matter who's around us, if you've believed in Jesus as your Savior, as the one who has saved you, and you're next to someone else who's believed in Jesus, and they believe that they've saved them, you've been brought into someplace special. God's people, you've been brought to the very throne room of God, to his glory. That's where you're at. Why? Because, again, God has a plan. He makes these promises, and he follows through on it. He follows through on it. That's what Paul wants us to see. So, in light of that, he, Paul then gives us this kind of benediction as a way as, of thinking through. If this, because we know these things are true, here's this benediction, a way for us to respond. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So, in believing, right, what's that mean? What are we believing? That God keeps his promises. Right? Specifically, that God keeps the promise to save many peoples to himself. When we believe that God does this, here's what happens. We are given joy and peace. We're given joy, the sense of being content right, and satisfied. We're given peace, that we can be, sense of being secure, confident, at rest. That no matter what's happening, no matter what will happen, you can have joy and peace because you believe in this God. What, again? This God who follows through. A God who says what he's going to do, makes these promises, has a plan behind those promises, and follows through on them. This is what makes it possible to have joy and peace no matter the circumstances. To have joy and peace in good times, to have joy and peace in bad times. Why? Because that joy and peace is based not on what's happening around you. Again, look at the, pa the passage. It's based in God. It's God who fills you with joy and peace and believing. It's not... Your circumstances, they're going to fill you with joy and peace and believing. Our circumstances change all the time. We don't believe in our circumstances. We believe in the God who places us in these circumstances. And in those circumstances, as we navigate them, what we're always looking for is, who is this God? And God is saying, it's a God you can rely on. It's a God you can trust in, who follows his promises. And that gives you joy and peace. He's a God who doesn't change. He's always true. He's always loving. He's always just. He's always faithful. Most especially, he always follows through. He says something, he does it. That fills you with joy and peace. That by the power of his spirit, he gives you joy and peace. Because you know this is a God you can trust. Now, 
I get that at times it doesn't feel like that. It's important to say that. I don't want to sound trite and say, like, that doesn't, like, ignore your circumstances. I've been in ministry a long time, and I've heard so many different types of circumstances from so many different types of people. All sorts of struggles and pains and hurts and and the ups and downs of, of, of our lives, they rattle us, they shake us, and we have examples of the Bible of people who like know God and trust God, and you see them rattled and shaken. Uh, one of the biggest stories in the Bible is this guy prophet, this prophet Elijah, who has this huge moment where uh, all these prophets, these uh, pagan prophets of Baal, are saying like, God, you know, follow Baal, follow our God, right? And Isaiah, uh, Elijah, in this huge moment of success, says, God, call down fire on this sacrifice, and it happens, right? And these, these prophets of Baal can't come anywhere near it. They, they, can't even, they can't do anything like that, right? Here's this huge moment of revival. And like literally the, the next couple of verses, you see him on the run. Right? Like it looks like nothing happened as a result of that huge moment. And you see him like kind of almost depressed. Like where's God? Where's God in this? Like that is true. We have these circumstances and these situations that rattle us and that shake us. And that's not to ignore that. But one of the things I think hopefully communities of faith like ours can do is just remind us how do we get back sort of that joy and peace. So a joy and peace that might be in the midst of great sad circumstances, how do we get it back? Well, it starts by looking not to what is happening around us, but to God, and especially to what God has done. That one of the things the Bible always wants us to say is just first start with God and look for the evidence of how God acts. Every time we take communion, it's you saying, I remember what God has done. Here's what God does. We celebrate Easter, we celebrate Christmas. Why? We're remembering, here's what God does. God said he was going to send Jesus, he came. God said Jesus was going to die for our sins, he did. Thinking about those things, remembering those things becomes the basis for us to continue then to trust in him. To rely that he knows what he's doing and follows through on what he says he's going to do. It gives us the joy and peace and then it gives us then the hope. And that's really where we want to go. We may be rattled by our circumstances, what keeps us what helps us move out of them and into better places is that sense of hope. Hope is what helps us survive. And that hope comes, and again, what God wants to give us here is not a little hope. Notice what it says there, by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might abound in hope. What God wants us to do is abound in hope. And he ties it into trusting in him, trusting that he says things and he follows through on them. And here's one of those great examples of that. Promise made, promise fulfilled. God would justify, he would elect, justify, and adopt Jew and Gentile into his family, and he did. There's joy and peace knowing that God does this, and now there's hope to move forward, that God is going to continue to be this type of God. So, because of what God has done in the past, have hope today for what God is going to do today. That God's still going to draw people to himself. He's still doing it. Have hope that God is still drawing Jew and Gentile, the nations, people around you, people that you know to yourself. Have trust and hope that God is working when he draws those people to himself. We saw some of the things in the previous chapters, things we, Paul talked about, like deferring to one another, uh, people of different consciences being able to have disagree and still be in relationship with each other, doing good to each other, welcoming one another. On the surface, it looks like that's never going to happen. Yes, <laughs> it will never happen. 
unless we look to who gave us the situation and has placed us in this where we are. It's the God who follows through on his promises. And his promise has always been to draw people to himself. So it gives us hope that, yes, we can be a people who welcome one another. Yes, we can be people who do good to one another. And it gives us hope that as we continue to work those things, those things will be successful and continue to happen. It gives us hope more broadly that more people will be part of that experience of being welcomed and known by one another. That God, as I said, is continuing to bring people to himself. Parents, have hope and trust when it comes to your children, for example. Have hope and trust when it comes to your children. The God who came through when, when people had to trust him that he would save people from every tribe, language, and nation. We had to, people had to trust that God would happen. That same God who came through on that, you're going to have to hope and trust that God's going to come through when it comes to your kids. Now look, would I love that my Bible said, yep, each of my kids' names, just Ramon, just turn to like Ramon chapter 1, verse 5, right? Uh, there it is, all my kids' names, right? Saved, right? Done. Um, it would be great if we each had a book of the Bible named after us and we find where it says all the things that we want to happen that happen will happen. That's not how God has set it up because that's not really a relationship, right? That's like God being a fast food counter, right? I mean, I order it up and he gives it to me. We're in a relationship with God and what God asks us to do is hope and trust in him. Hope and trust in him when it comes to something as important as will our kids know God. Hope and trust in him. And he also says, hope and trust in him based on what I've done in the past. And here's my track record. Here are the citations. I tend to follow through on the things I say. And there's, there's a level of, of, again, hope and trust in this for how those things work out, that ultimately God is going to do good among us, even though we can't work out all the ways in which that good will happen. It's a hope and trust for not just our kids, but any of our family members, for our coworkers, our neighbors, our bosses, our clients, our classmates, our teammates, all the people around us, that the same God who fulfills those Old Testament promises is the same God we trust to work his plan in the peoples around us. The people's close to us, the people's that you don't even know, the people you see on TV. <laughs> Hope and trust that God is working. God is working in a way that will ultimately bring great glory to himself, in a way that is fair and just. All these, again, are dependent on who we understand God to be, isn't it? That this is God, and we can trust him and rely on him. And, and really, last thing to say here is that we're talking about these things that God has already done. So that's how we have trust in him today. But it's worth saying there's more for God to do. And that's a wonderful thing. There's more promises to come. And because we know he's fulfilled past promises, we know he'll fulfill these promises. Because God's promise still to be fulfilled is not just to save a people to himself. It's to also create a destination for his people. That God is building a place one day where, it's a place where heaven is going to join with earth. And in that place there's going to be no more conflict, no division, no more fighting with God, no more fighting with one another. In that place instead are people gathered from every nation, every nation today, all the nations throughout history. God's going to be with us. I'm going to be with one another forever, knowing God under the perfect rule of Jesus. That's a promise still to come. So God says abound with hope. <laughs> be hopeful because God has already done a whole lot. He's already followed through on a whole lot. Be hopeful then of what he will do. Now join peace now knowing that what he's done in the past, he will continue to do for his glory and our good forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, this time and space to be together. And thank you, Lord, um, 
you make promises and you fulfill them, Lord. And one of the things, Lord, we are, uh, want to always remind ourselves of, Lord, is that the biggest promise in the world that you would send Jesus and he would save a people unto himself of every tribe, language, and nation has happened. Lord, you made this promise and you held on to it even when it looked like it wouldn't happen. Jesus did come. And Lord, the unexpected happened in this backwater part of the Roman Empire, a place where a lot of people came up and then fell down and no one's ever heard of them again. One person did come up and he seemed like he died, but then he rose again and people saw him and believed and the word spread. And it spread all the way to 2022 here in Phoenix. There's people here who believe that. It continues to spread. It can't be stopped. Uh, Lord, uh, there's a lot of ways in which people want to explain that away, uh, Lord, and yet we know by faith, Lord, the only explanation is that you, Lord, followed through on what you said you would do. Jesus did come, and through him we are saved and brought to you. Thank you for that. And so, Lord, for those, Lord, Lord, who are struggling now in any way, fill them with at least a little bit of joy and peace in knowing that you have done that. Their salvation is real. Their faith in you is real. The fact that they are family with people from all across the world, people here who they don't even know, the fact that that is true and they got saved through Jesus is real. It's legit. You brought it about. And Lord, may that be maybe a kind of anchor for their soul, uh, a foundation to build on as they continue to, to look to you and hope in you for things that they want you to do. Um, Lord, there's many more things that we want you to do. Many more things that you've said you will do. So we trust in that. We trust in that day to come. We trust in the ways you're working in the people among us. We trust in you. So, Lord, thank you that you're this God of hope. A God of hope because, Lord, um, you keep your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.